Um, can you hear me? Good. Okay. <laughs> this morning we learned that um, what happens when we preach uh, the gospel, an insufficient gospel. We saw two examples, the one of Apollos and the disciples of uh, Ephesus. And uh, tonight we want to continue seeing what happens when the gospel is preached properly, when it's proclaimed appropriately. For this, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles in the book of Exodus, chapter 7. And for context, um, we will read from verses 8 through 13. We'll be focusing on uh, verse 12, though. The word of God says it this way. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, when you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by the sacred arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. I wanted to point out three things that I saw in this passage. I'll read verse 12 again. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. First point I want to make is that every time the gospel is proclaimed, every time you go before Pharaoh, those who are not safe, as he is a representative of such, there are those around them that would create an opposition against the gospel. It's interesting to see that the wise men and the magicians were summoned. And as many who are out there proclaiming false gospels, they were ready. They were ready to cast down their staffs. They were ready to attack Aaron and Moses. And so they did. Now, I don't know if it was a sleight of hand or not. I don't think the passage says that at all. Somehow they had the power to make a staff into a serpent. And in that same way, there are those who proclaim false gospels 
And they seem so real. It seemed like they have the power to manipulate people into whatever they want. Whether, like in the morning it was said, is the prosperity gospel or the emerging gospel or the liberation gospel, they all have some semblance of truth. They all have something that looks real. And yet, they are false gospels. Or what do you think about those so-called religions or cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or Seventh-day Adventists, which make it look like they're part of the church, and yet they proclaim a false gospel? It is interesting to see that every single religion tries nowadays to somehow capture or falsify the evidence of the gospel. Like the Egyptian, Egyptian magicians all bring a certain level of truth. They have the power to imitate the power of God. They all promise to change your life, to bring reconciliation with God or the universe. They all claim to bring you closer to God, but they are all illusions. But what is the essence of the power of the gospel then? Well, Jesus said it clearly in John thirteen thirty-five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ultimately, all these religions, all these ideologies bring to the table a false love for people, a false charity for others. They all try to imitate the church and its sign. Just like the magicians try to imitate God's sign. Today, all these false religions, all these false beliefs, all these false gospels try to imitate the love that the church should have for each other. The signs of the church today are no longer doing miraculous miracles or bringing uh, things to be that wander the eyes. It is love. It is love for one another. It is caring for one another. It is the power to change lives to bring someone from spiritual death into eternal life. It is the power of the true gospel. So as you preach the gospel, you will find yourself confronting many false gospels. Expect it. And ready yourself. Study the scriptures fervently. 
pray often, and encourage uh, and, 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 and congregate with each other as much as possible. In other words, come to church as much as possible. This is how we get ready to fight those who give false gospels. Our goal is not to study what they know. Our goal is to study scripture. Our goal is not to find out what they believe. Our goal is to be in communication with God and with each other. I mean, Paul said it clearly to Timothy, right? Be ready in season and out of season to proclaim God's word. Second, I see in this passage that there are those that no matter what will not listen to the true gospel. There was a reason why these magicians did what they did. They wanted to make Pharaoh not follow God, right? And Pharaoh listened. It is interesting that when God confronted Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron, he said to throw the rod to the ground and make it into a serpent. Now, the Pharaoh was called the great serpent. And it's time. In essence, the serpent was the symbol of the power of Pharaoh. And God tells Moses... Throw the staff, throw the snake into the ground. Be it beneath your feet. Be able to control it. He's showing something. Pharaoh would have been extremely offended by this action. God, in essence, is saying, I am more powerful than you. It would be like somebody going to the Oval Office today, grabbing a bald eagle and breaking its neck. The animal symbol of America. That's what Moses is doing there. He's telling Pharaoh, you're not more powerful than God. And yet, Pharaoh heartens his heart. He says, I've seen this before. He calls his wise men, and they all make their staff serpents. Interestingly enough, though, Aaron's staff eats the staffs of the magicians, showing Pharaoh that God is the supreme one and not him. This was a supernatural event that you don't see it right away. But snakes don't eat more than once in a long period of time, usually three to four days, but it could be months, depending on how big the animal they're eating. And yet this snake is eating multiple snakes, at least two, if not more, right? He keeps eating the snakes. This is a supernatural event.
And at the end, Aaron stretches his hand and picks up the staff. Showing Pharaoh that God, that the God of Moses was more powerful than the gods of the Egyptians. The sad part of all of this is that Pharaoh's heart was heartened. To really understand this, we got to look even further back to Exodus 7, 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be like your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will hearten Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. The truth of the matter is, when it comes to the gospel, God is always in control. He is always in control. He was in control of Pharaoh. God does not excuse himself in the matter of his role of him hardening the heart of those who don't want anything to do with him. Paul makes it clear in Romans 1 that he leaves those who are against them to their own devices. That he allows them to just be. And they destroy themselves. I know there's false theologies out there which claim that God controls everything as a puppet master. He's not like that. Certainly, the idea of God controlling Pharaoh to his own device, leaving him by his own devices, makes the question of whether God manipulated his bad behavior. But the truth of the matter is that Pharaoh was going to do what Pharaoh was going to do. He just let him be. Sproul says that, R.C. Sproul says that in his book, What is Reformed Theology? Like this. Classical Reformed theology rejects the doctrine of equal ultimacy, which is that just as God intervenes in the lives of those of the elect to create faith in their hearts, so he similarly intervenes in the hearts of of the reprobate to work on belief. Though some have labeled this doctrine as hyper-Calvinism, I refer to uh, I prefer to call it sub-Calvinism, or even more precisely, anti-Calvinism. Though Calvinists certainly hold to the, a kind of double predestination, in other words, the idea that God predestines those who are safe, and therefore he predestines those who are not safe, it does not embrace equal 
ultimacy. The reform view makes a crucial distinction between God's position, a positive and negative decree. God positively decrees the election of some and negatively decrees the reprobation of others. The difference between positive and negative does not refer to the outcome, though the outcome indeed is either positive or negative, but to the manner by which God brings it, his decree to pass in history. The positive side refers to God's active intervention in the lives of the elect to work faith in their hearts. The negative refers not to God's working unbelief in the hearts of the reprobate, but simply to his passing them by and withholding his regenerative grace from them. In other words, God works in those who he will save in their hearts and simply doesn't work in those who are not going to be safe. He just leaves them to them, themselves. The truth of the matter is that when we preach the gospel, there are those who will be safe and there are those who will not be safe. But this should be something that would encourage us because God is in control. The fact is that he has predestined those who will be saved. And whether we like it or not, those who will be saved will be safe. I know it sounds redundant, <laughs> but we can be encouraged by this. Every time we preach the gospel, the ones who are called to be saved will be saved. We just have to preach. There will always be some sort of victory. God will always bring his to himself. And isn't it amazing that we can be part of that? We can be a part of the miraculous act of God reviving the dead. Third, and lastly, when I look at this passage, I see that there will be some that will see the transforming power of the gospel. Aaron and Moses saw God's power. The snake ate the other snakes. God showed them that he would swallow up Pharaoh and all his gods. And their faith allowed them to see their salvation and that of all God's people. Just like that snake, like that staff swallowed the other snakes, God swallowed up Pharaoh, destroyed him. And isn't it an amazing example of exactly what happened with Jesus? Jesus defeats the snake that was prophesied in the garden. Just as Moses, a representative of Jesus, 
was a savior to his people. In his time, and defeated the serpent Pharaoh, a representative of Satan, the old serpent, Jesus defeated Satan and crushed his head on the cross, giving us salvation and eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus crushed the serpent. He crushed him. And that's what we proclaim. That is the gospel. And we are called to proclaim it. And just like Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh, even though it could have cost them their lives, God showed his power in their obedience. And he shows his power in ours. Don't be ashamed to proclaim the power of God. Proclaim the gospel to all that are around you. Remember Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. God promises that we, that he will use us for his kingdom. He did not promise us that we will not find opposition, nor did he promise us that every single person we talk to would be saved. But he does promise us that he will be with us, that he will remind us of his word, and that there will be a fruit when we are obedient and proclaim God's good news. That even though we were all sinners and deserved hell, he loved us so much that he gave his son to live the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and reconciled us to God so that we would be saved from his from him who has the power and dominion over all so what happens when the gospel is properly proclaimed we encounter opposition we encounter rejection but we also get to see the power of God in action. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you, Lord, for the salvation that we have received through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, that we would be bold in proclaiming that salvation, that we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel, O Lord, and that we would do it correctly as we learned this morning and that we would do it often O lord we thank you lord that you make us a part of this great scheme in jesus name amen